Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 280 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And we are going to talk about some short topics tonight. Uh, we have some amateur radio topics, some open source topics, some topics that blend those two things together, and we call those Linux in the Ham Shack, and that's the name of the program. And then we'll uh, talk about some other stuff, too, I'm sure. We usually throw in a few things that we don't even know we're going to talk about. And the folks that are going to do that talking are me, Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Cheryl in her piece. Wow. <laughs> and wow. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. We're, Sorry. Good, good start we've got going Yeah. There. No, I was reading something. So I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD. All right. Very good. So before we get to any of that, we want to mention our Hamvention 2019 campaign. And that is to get us to Hamvention. We're about halfway through that campaign, and there's, what, 39 days or something like that left before Hamvention, so it's coming up really, really soon now. If you can donate to that camp, excuse me, if you can donate to that campaign, we would really appreciate it. The URL to find it is url.bcts.info slash hvc2019. And if you can't, just go ahead and share it out there on all the social media networks. Tell everybody in your ham radio club about it. Just let the world know that the campaign is out there. And we actually don't need that much more air to get to our goal. And um, there's going to be some benefit to the folks who visit with us in Hamvention if we get to the full goal. We just haven't quite fleshed out the details on what that's going to be yet. So stay tuned. Uh, but please do whatever you can to help us out. And we're not going to talk any more about that. We're going to jump right into amateur radio topics. And we're going to let Bill talk about flying through the atmosphere. Flies. Oh, wait, no, AMSAT. AMSAT files <laughs> comments in FCC orbital debris mitigation proceeding. That's right. Today, AMSAT filed co comments on a proposed rulemaking. In the comments, AMSAT argues that the amateur satellites often have a longer mission lifespans than other small satellite missions, and that the commission should take a mission duration of 5 to 10 years into account when determining whether or not an amateur satellite will meet the orbital debris regulations by transferring to a parking orbit or re-entering the atmosphere within 25 years of the mission completion. The, uh, the practice is to assume the, a zero-year mission and to require uh, that, that amateur satellites either transfer to a parking orbit or re-enter within 25 years following the launch. And that came to us from our good friends over at Southgate uh, ARC. And, uh, yeah, I, th I thought we just mentioned this <laughs> what, a couple episodes ago. We were talking about how many satellites are going up. and. Uh, how uh, how it's going to be just like uh, Wally, you know, <laughs> just a cloud of debris as you uh, as you exit the Earth. And um, is there? An, I believe I was just. We, we never really talked about like orbital decay on things like CubeSats. I mean, I assume there must be some, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. Well, but would they? A lot of the cubes, CubeSats don't have any correction at all. They just basically 
But when they burn up, they fall. Well, you would think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're small. tiny. The cubes yeah, yeah. are tiny. Yeah. I mean, we're talking on the order of like millimeters. These things are small. Right. So. Yeah, like if the Hubble were to come in, that's <laughs> yeah, different. that's completely <laughs> different. It's a little bit <laughs> All those missiles inside yeah, and everything else, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I wonder if they factor this into when they put them up. Do they kind of have an idea how long they're actually going to be in space before they decay? I'm assuming uh, it depends. You know, you, you know, think about like birds, like what RS-15 is still flying around and occasionally you can hear it. It's just odd that things have been around for, you know, as long as I've been a ham. <laughs> and so, and it was a long time since before then. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the birds will stay up for a very long time. And uh, if they're not planned to, like, basically either put them in their parking orbit or deorbit them um, at some point in their lifespan, if it's a you know more sophisticated craft with uh, the ability to settle itself into position and stuff like that, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare of stuff. Um, in fact, I just read an article. I was going to find. I was looking for when I found this story. There was an article that was mentioning uh, the bunch of the sats that they just released. Uh, what was it on? Like the last SpaceX mission, they like can't reach half of them, so they have no idea where they are. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you have that, and then you have the other story of what India shooting down, or I don't know, China or somebody shot. <laughs> shot a satellite and like create a bunch of debris in the sky in the orbit path and they're like yeah that 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 you can't shoot freaking satellites unless you you know totally just you know disintegrate them <laughs> um because they leave projectiles in the air flying around at you know what what like fourteen thousand miles an hour or something like that <clears throat> yeah we need that we need a bunch of trash and burnt up trash and the particles of trash uh, circling the Earth, getting ready to hit all future uh, future satellites and missions, stuff like that. So uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of these stories are colliding together, bringing together uh, <laughs> some issues. Kind of, uh, yeah, it's like well, you hear about like, oh, the success is great. You know, Amazon's going to throw up you know a billion satellites and have this you know low Earth orbit uh, you know internet service and. You know, so and so is going to do the same thing, and blah 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 blah. Like, uh, you know, we're already kind of seeing the the artifact of having all of that stuff up there, and it's not being managed very well. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, the light bulbs are starting to flicker, if not <laughs> coming full light now, because uh, there's definitely appears to be somewhat of an issue uh, moving forward in this area. Yeah, there's there's always been a concern about space trash, and there already is some too. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that like the ISS has been hit by some over the years, um, <clears throat> or the shuttles or, or something. Something, right? But yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. So, yeah, a billion satellites. I mean, just block out the sun, then we don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can get rid of global warming. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Just cloud the whole planet. It'll be freezing. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we should probably move on. So there's a story here about hams trying to recarve the amateur radio spectrum in a fight over open or encoded broadcasts. In a letter, a PDF letter, submitted earlier this week to the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, New York University professor Theodore Rappaport, who runs the NYU Wireless Research Center at the NYU Tandon School of Engineering. Let's see, how many times can we say NYU in 10 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> Voice support for RM11831. A proposed radio rule revision that, among other things, would require radio transmissions be open to public scrutiny. 
RM11831 allows ACDS, that's automatically controlled digital stations, to continue to operate in ham radio, but simply requires them to use openly decodable transmissions in compliance with FCC rules. And that's a quote directly from Rappaport. And if you remember anything from your ham radio test, it says that the only things that can be encrypted, the only types of communications that can be encrypted in amateur radio are telecommand. Uh, and this apparently wants to do away with that. Uh, that means difficult to decipher proprietary automatic repeat query traffic using radio signal mod- modulations like Pactor 3, Winmore, Stanhag, and RDOP would have to be open source or make easy decoding available to ham radio operators who wish to examine the traffic. And I think this has nothing to do with amateur radio operators who want to examine the traffic. Probably CC and the CIA and the NSA. And- <laughs> NSA. <laughs> and anybody else. Yeah. No, I think this falls into a line, you know, um, you know, the whole Pactor 3 thing and, you know, Winmore, I guess, is not so much because of a lot of cooperation there, <clears throat> RDOP, but like Pactor's, you know, got a lot of bad rap over the years because of being a commercial protocol. And, uh, you know, the ones that aren't mentioned here would be kind of like, uh, you know, Postar, even though I think that's, you know, perfectly open, except for just the uh, finally coding, correct? That is a question I cannot answer, kit. and I don't know if you're dropping out or if it's your gate. It's probably me just getting oh. quiet. <laughs> I'll just I'll just need your but, uh, side of the recording, so there won't be any gating issues. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Well, geez, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see because I have uh, I don't have a. Uh, uh, oh, you're gated on your end too. I, oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm gated going into uh, mumble mumbles wide open continuous so <laughs> I'll try to just speak up and stay uh, stay focused on providing audio to you because this is an audio podcast but anyway uh, yeah so the modulation uh, type they want them all open source and and fully decodable I'm assuming it doesn't say that you know cannot be encumbered by hardware you know actually having to buy a piece of hardware to decode it so. Um, I haven't read the full text of this, but I thought it was an interesting uh, inclusion as it involves amateur radio and a requirement of being open source. Yeah, that is interesting. And it probably would not affect that as long as the transmission is, in fact, decodable and easily decodable. It doesn't mean you might not have to pay for something to do that decoding. So, Yeah. Yeah, and I think you, I mean, like right now, I mean, you can buy Pactor, you know, a Pactor modem. So, I mean, you can run Pactor. I mean, I, I believe they sell those. Uh, <laughs> Winmore is just, a, you know, software. Um, RDOP is the, what, replacement to Winmore eventually. And I'm not sure what Stanag is. So, um, can't really answer that one. Well, we might have to have fingers over here look up Stanag and tell us what it is. Yeah, NATO. It's standardization <laughs> agreement. Defines it. Oh, you know what that is? That that can't be what it is. You mean there are two things that have that acronym? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Jeez, up Pete. So Stanag for 4285. Yeah, specified. Oh, so it's a it's a military agency standardization for transmitting uh data across HF radio links. Uh, there's a Wikipedia on it, Stanag 5066, Profile for High Frequency Radio Data Communication, NATO Standardization Agreement, Specification to Enable Applications to Communicate Efficiently over HF Radio. There you go. Yeah, that sounds a little bit different because it's more of a military thing. So Yeah, Stanag <laughs> apparently just means standardization I... agreement. So there yeah. is a large list 
of different stanags. When you look up stanag modulation mode, several different numbers come up. I looked up stanag protocol, and that's what that's when fifty sixty six came up. Well, which the- has to do with selective repeat ARQ error control profile for HF datacom email and IP over HF. So I think that might be the one we're talking about. Well, the the one that that I the first thing that came up for me was Stanag forty two eighty five as a variety of speeds and interleaving speeds range from seventy five bits per second up to thirty six hundred bits per second. Uh, mm-hmm. Two interleaving modes exist: short and long, uh, faster transmission, blah 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 blah. So it looks like it could be a little bit of anything because it says modulation PSK phase shift key. So. <clears throat> Great. What a topic we have unveiled. Yeah. I feel like doing Stanag in the in the way they do Stella in like streetcar name design. Stanag! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's Stanag forty four eighty one, which is FSK, uh four four four, which is excuse me, E E W F and D S W F. Alright, enough of the acronyms. Let's move on. <laughs> If somebody I, was wants just, to read, I was just throwing you numbers. No, there, I know. So. There's so many acronyms in that story that it's just ludicrous. And there is a link to the source. So if you want to read the registers article about all of that and go down your own rabbit hole, uh, feel free Enjoy. to have fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bill right. gets the next one. Yeah. So Bill gets the thing about the uh, microwaves. Yeah. This, uh, the, in the interest of uh, always using a different, uh, a different source for in- <laughs> news, uh, this one comes from the Wireless Institute of Australia. And this is the new microwave and uh, optical records are set. So John Martin VK3KM, uh, WAIA records keeper, lets us know that uh, there have been many new microwave records and new optical records records set in the VK. And the VK, of course, is Australia, for those of you uh, new to amateur radio. <laughs> the records list has been updated to include a number of new records set by uh, Ian Crawford, VK5ZD, and Tim Dixon, VK5ZT. And David Minchin, VK5KK. Uh, and it looks like they're dealing with uh, 24 gigs and up. This is kind of cool. Uh, the new VK1 record for 24 gigs is 52.3 miles. And it looks like these stations, VK5ZD uh, and VK5KK, uh, <laughs> lots of letters, <clears throat> uh, did this on uh, 24 gigs, 47 gigs, and 76 gigs all at 52.3 miles. So this is all line of sight, uh, very, 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 very high frequency. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another uh, record they have here for uh, 76 gigahertz was uh, 59.5 miles. Um, I did convert this all from kilometers because I'm sure nobody references Ks except for like maybe a 5K or a 10K (laughs) in the US. Um, The new VK3 and national record for 76 gigahertz is 87.7 miles. There's a VK3 record for 122 gigahertz uh, of 3.1 miles. There's your 5K, and that was between VK5ZD and VK5KK. Uh, uh, a couple of mobile records were set there between the bunch uh, on 24, 47, and 76 gig of 17.7 miles. So that's pretty awesome. And what else do we have here? A new national digital mode record for the one 122 gigahertz band <laughs> can't imagine how small that antenna is <laughs> <laughs> set by andrew anderson vk3 cv and uh, noel higgins vk3 uh, nh uh it was one mile almost it was like 0.999 <laughs> 1.6 kilometers 
So uh, pretty awesome, uh, pretty awesome stuff going on over there in Australia, uh, dealing with these uh, really, really, really high experimental bands. It'd be interesting to kind of dig into more information on uh, what exactly they're using for that and uh, exactly the setup. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in doing some experimenting in the high uh, high frequency realm, uh, not high frequency, but I guess uh, ultra, ultra, <laughs> super ultra, yeah, ultra, super, ultra, super, ultra, <laughs> ultra, 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 super high uh, frequency. <laughs> uh, yeah, check that out and uh, and uh, see what they're doing over there. And again, that came from the WIA. I have to imagine the antennas they're using for that are electronically or yeah, electrically lengthened because otherwise you'd be talking about stuff like in a millimeter or maybe nanometer range. I mean, uh, they, they'd have to be altered somehow because otherwise, I mean, radiating a 122 gigahertz antenna, I think just the sheer, the, the sheer smallness of the radial would make anything that it was attached to part of the resonant part of the antenna. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. I, I don't know. That's, uh, that's, that's the thing. You, I, somebody, somebody do the math real quick and find out how long a full wave 122 gigahertz antenna yeah, I'm assuming is. You could do I a, bet it's not very you could long. do a full wave Yagi or something like that and print it out. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl's going to look it up. Cheryl, you should already know the, uh, you've passed your test. You should, uh, yeah, I do. 428 and it's in megahertz. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you have to multiply to get to megahertz, and then you have to... Let's put it this way. It's a really short antenna. Yeah, it'll fit in your yard. I can tell you that. <laughs> no worries. It'll fit on a blade of grass. <laughs> You've got a postage stamp lot. It'll definitely fit this antenna in there. You could probably put an yeah, array in there. Yeah, you could put a four you square in. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, it's pretty cool, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, for 122 megahertz. No, gigahertz. Gigahertz. Oh, gigahertz. <laughs> 122. Yeah, gigahertz. sorry. 122 would be airband. Right. Yeah, you'd be interfering with airplanes. <laughs> all right, fine. Let me go back right. we'll, we'll come back to you. Yeah, we'll yeah, come back thanks. to you and figure out exactly how short that <laughs> antenna is. Uh, carry the one. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're right. getting down to, like, you know, fractions yeah. here. You have know. change your units. So... Uh, Jeremy says use a paperclip. I'm pretty sure a paperclip is way too long. That <laughs> yeah, might be a couple of, you know, five, five wavelengths. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on to open source topics, we have the faces of open source, which is an ongoing photographic documentation of the people behind the open source revolution. I remember seeing this a couple of months ago and I promptly forgot about it. So, um, the project is comprised of portraits of notable and unsung heroes who dedicate themselves to the creation and advancement of our open source technologies. It was pretty cool, though. A lot of the photographs are really, really well done. And uh, I didn't know if there was some reason you put this in here other than just to mention it, because I thought it was a cool project, but yeah, I, I saw it come didn't up actually on, feel like it was worth yeah, it. Yeah, I saw it come <laughs> up on um, on Hacker News, and I hadn't seen it before, so I figured, ah, oh, what the heck, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll include it and we'll mention it. You'll notice all of our open source topics are almost all flash except for this one which is kind of a flash topic what as well. the hell just happened okay hang on my my computer did that thing where it loaded a web page inside of the etherpad again oh. that is really weird when a web page inside of the etherpad yeah yeah I, I there's a couple of times this has happened i mentioned it on the show where i actually went to go to that website you know the open faces page and it loaded it in my etherpad ah. it didn't it didn't load it for any of you because you didn't see it. That's interesting. But, it's almost like you're inside of an iframe or something like that. Yeah, and almost like it opened it as the the, the etherpad as an iframe. 
it was it's really weird and when that happens i think the the ether pad gets wiped out <laughs> luckily it's um luckily the ether pad is like retractable it keeps track of all the changes so if that did actually happen to be able to fix it but yeah it's, it's weird <laughs> anyway go on yeah so yeah that's where i found it uh it's a cool little site it gives you little blurbs of uh, everybody in there and if you haven't put a face to a name yet um you'll definitely be able to do that with this and uh, you know you can kind of dig down and see some people maybe you haven't uh, haven't heard of before so uh definitely a good list there i, I don't see you on there yet but uh <laughs> yeah, i'm pretty sure i'm never going to be in that boat, <laughs> yeah so. yeah so uh we'll, we'll see how it, it ever expands and stuff like that so uh, let me go ahead and start with some of our, our flash topics we have here uh this is just some software and stuff that has been released lately and uh, i was kind of checking these things out for uh, personal use and uh, the first one here is a uh, is Dead Beef. It's the ultimate music player version 1.80 is released. Dead Beef, as in zero uh, x d e a d b e f, <laughs> is a modular audio player for GNU Linux, BSD, Open Solaris. People still use that. Uh, Mac OS and other Unix-like systems. Dead Beef lets you play a variety of audio formats, convert between them, customize the UI in almost any way you want, and use many additional plugins which can extend it even more. And this is uh this is linked over on SourceForge. I did download this. Didn't Open Solaris become like Open Indiana yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, Open Indiana. Um yeah, so I did download this and they do have an app image so you can kind of get up and running. And it sort of has the same problem that I've run into with like Rhythmbox and a bunch of other ones. My directory of music has too many files in it. <laughs> So I was like, that's always my first test. Okay, go ahead and just go ahead and read the list. What's in there? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it went pukey pukey before uh, even Rhythmbox does. I think Rhythmbox starts uh, puking at about like 5,800 um, music files. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not too bad. I mean, it does have that problem if you're going to have a huge library sitting in the back of it. Um, I'm sure there's some way to mitigate that. Uh, my way is probably not the best way because I have a mixture of uh, files that probably don't belong in there and they're not audio. So it probably gets uh, a little confused as it's passing through that. But it did work really well. Um, you know, standard stuff has a, you know, play button, stop button, <laughs> playlist. Uh, you know, it's very minimal when you open it up the very first time. You can play around with it and add all their kinds of UI elements and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, so yeah, so if you're if you're looking for the next uh, next music player, I don't know if it uh, if it really qualifies as the ultimate music player, but uh, you know, you know, much much like Cam Radio Deluxe said, they were like what the best amateur radio application, <laughs> you know, in, in like four different ways. Yeah, in like four different ways. Well, yeah, so yeah. Uh, you know, hey, hats <laughs> off to these guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, Can it play audio at? Faster than standard speed. You know, I didn't even look for that because it didn't really feel like a, a podcast player, and that's about the only thing I ever speed up. Well, that's true. I don't listen to music at faster than. Yeah, it sounds really weird. Speed. I mean, I guess you could listen to an audiobook at at a faster speed. Um, I don't think. Do you remember what the old school use of playing music at double speed used to be? Um, no. Like Alvin and the Chipmunks singing. Well, there's that. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but I'm thinking of a more practical use. <laughs> no. No, it used to be that old double tape decks used to be able to play and record at twice speed, so oh, it would be shorter, twice as fast. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you never had a dual cassette deck? 
player? No, I wasn't rich like you when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't live the privileged life. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I never had a cassette player when I was growing yeah. up. I just had a. a I stick. had an eight track player. Can. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't really have dual eight track players. <laughs> <laughs> I did have an eight track player that could record, and I thought that was the most awesome thing. And I don't know many people actually okay. had an eight track recorder. I, I had an 8-track recorder, but they're basically useless because the way 8-tracks work is you have four, you know, you have a, a tape that is four two-track recordings. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the most ideal I'm thing. I'm curious how that works. Yeah. It wasn't the most ideal It did thing. not work well. Uh, yeah. 8-tracks were not the greatest technology, <laughs> that's for Which sure. Which is why they didn't stick around It is for exactly why they didn't stick around, yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I guess I can do the next one too if you want. Back yourself up. Yeah, go for okay, it. sure. Yeah, another flash one is the sync thing. Uh, this is at version one point one point one. We like ones. That's released. A sync thing is a continuous file synchronization program. It synchronizes files between two or more computers. We strive to fulfill the goals below. The goals are listed in order of importance, with the most important thing being first. Hey, that's why they're in order. Uh, syncing file here is. Uh, it here is precise. It means we specifically exclude things that are not files, like calendar items, instant messages, and so on. If those are, in fact, stored as files on disk, they can be, of course, synced as files. And the sync thing should be safe from data loss. That's number one. Second thing, secure against attackers. Three, easy to use. Four, automatic. Five, universally, universally available. Uh, that means available on just about any platform. Uh, six, it's four individuals, and seven, everything else. There are many things we care about that don't make it onto the list, and it's fine to optimize for these values as well, as long as they do not conflict with the stated goals above. And I've heard of a lot of people using sync thing. I haven't actually used it personally, um, although I probably have a use case here for it. I got <laughs> it's too many computers and uh, yeah, sparse storage. So, um, yeah, have you used sync, sync thing before? I have not. Does it keep two separate copies, like in synchronous, like state, or does it present itself as a single device with two synchronous storage devices underneath? I think it's kind of like a, a Dropbox sort of replacement thing, where you can kind of point everything at it, and then it'll uh, it'll handle syncing everything that way. Um, other than that, I really haven't, uh, dug into the documentation. So it's sort of like local cloud storage, basically with automatic synchronization. That's what it appears to be. Yes. You should be able to self host it, which is kind of nice. All right. That might be worth looking at. I have not heard of that before today, but I definitely would check it out. Sounds like something you might be able to use. Yeah. I'm just trying to dig through the docs real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say something I didn't mean to say. It also came up in the chat room that a 122 gigahertz antenna would be 2.46 millimeters long. Yeah, that's I, huge. I was, um, I was almost there. <laughs> and that—that's just the driven element. You need the uh, reflector can be like a little longer. Well, what if it's just a vertical? Well, you know, you want a little bit of gain. <laughs> I actually just saw a page for someone that had used a 3D printer. To actually make a dish type antenna. Oh yeah. For 122 gigahertz. It was about the size of a coffee cup. <laughs> so you are like the top of a coffee cup. So what maybe like 
branches or and something? that actually makes the most sense because since those communications are such close range you'd probably want to use something like a disc antenna as opposed to uh you know horizontal or vertical you want something with some real strong forward gain <laughs> yeah well this thing definitely looks like uh kind of dropbox ish all right so uh yeah, I might dig into this later. I just, I just kind of really bookmarked it for myself so I can go back to it, and also, uh, yeah, just like so I mentioned it here, why not? Yeah, why not? I'm definitely going to check it out. It does sound interesting. Uh, we can let Cheryl read this thing on Space Mem. It's a flash topic. It's easy. Wait, I have to get there. Are <laughs> well, you still trying to figure out the antenna light? No. <laughs> Four divided by one. Kinds <laughs> of. Pi squared, Pi 2.2 R, yeah. <laughs> Ted points out that a vertical would be half of 2.46 millimeters or 1.23 millimeters. So. Yeah. so anyway, our next flash topic is Space Vim version 1.1.0 has been released. Space Vim is a community-driven Vim distribution with a layer feature. Space Vim manages collections of plugins and layers. Layers make it easy for you, the user, to enable a new language or feature by grouping all the related plugins together. It got inspired by SpaceMax. The goals of it are more IDI-like features in Vim and NeoVim, better default different languages. And this information came from SpaceVim themselves. <clears throat> SpaceVim directly. Uh, yeah, the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to be honest, I didn't try this out. Um, just because I, I have, uh, I wanted a clean environment to try it on because <laughs> I actually use, uh, the ultimate Vim configuration in mine and I didn't want to mess it all up. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I already use a hacked version of Vim myself, um, that has all the cool little tools and everything else you need in it. And this kind of looks like, uh, something else kind of neat and cool for Vim. So, uh, if you're a Vim user or, uh, you know, wanting to grow from VI to Vim, <laughs> <laughs> and have like uh, some really neat features and stuff like that that are more IDE related. Um, yeah, ch check it out. It, it looks pretty slick, and uh, I'll, I'll probably check it out in a in a future time when I uh, don't want to bomb my own system. <laughs> yeah, I might do that. I like how it was inspired by Space Emacs. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't that shouldn't that have like caused uh, some sort of matter antimatter explosion of epic proportions or something? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> Like it uh, broke the time-space continuum or something like that. <laughs> uh, very good. So anyway, moving on, we've got Linux and the Hamshack topics. Uh, these are all going to be kind of quick ones because there just wasn't a lot to talk about in the Linux and the Hamshack world this week, but we're going to do our best. The first thing we could probably talk about, and Bill, you can let us know if there's anything we need to know about this, but you have rolled at least one version of the LHS Ubuntu release uh, 18.04.2, uh, at least the Mate version, which you said you are going to be testing. Yes, that's right. I, uh, I have not I have not booted the actual image yet. I did load it up onto uh, the regular site, so it's up there on media.ne4rd.live, and you'll see a bunch of images there. One is there is 18.04.2, and uh, that's the Mate edition, and that will be the, the disc that we will be uh, bringing to Hamvention. So if you, you don't want the disk or uh, <laughs> you just want the ISO, just go ahead and download it from there. Um, I'll go ahead and review that probably to, tonight or tomorrow, and uh, and we'll be able to say that's good to go ahead and mint. 
on the discs. But, uh, but for now, uh, we're just kind of keeping you updated. I did update it, uh, the today. So any packages that actually have hit the app repository as of, uh, this recording have been included and updated. So that, that's the version that it's sitting at. It did go through another kernel revision. And, um, we decided not to bring, wait for 1904. And, uh, so yeah, so you'll have an LPS build at Hambention available for you to use on DVD or to download from ISO. All right. Once we've had you and I, and maybe one or two other folks actually download and test it, we will make sure that that, that link stays up and available. And I will make sure it's available via torrent as well. And you can find links to our various torrents on the website under the content tab. Just click on content and then on torrents. And you'll be able to, assuming we get a few more cedars, uh, download those ISOs really, really quickly. So that will be nice. And those, will, of course, will be available as DVDs at Hamvention. So very nice. Uh, the next thing we want to talk about is the release, the actual, the actual final release of 1.0.0 of JSA Call. It has been released. No the more release, release candidates. Yep. The full one. <laughs> the full one. And there's, there's only one feature about this release that I really cared about. And that's the feature where it doesn't nag you about updating it every 30 days. So <laughs> this version expires on this day. <laughs> right. Your computer will explode. Please uninstall now. <laughs> yep. No more of that. So yes. I would d- highly recommend downloading 1.0.0 immediately if you're a JS8 call user. And even if you're not, you should probably download it anyway and give it a try. It's pretty cool mode. So if you're familiar with FT8 or any of the other, you know, digital modes out there, um, you'd be familiar with this. If you've used WSJTX before, any of the weak signal stuff, uh, JSA call will feel pretty familiar. So check it out. And then we have straight from the author who's in the chat room tonight, Ted WA0EIR, a new release of TWCW. According to the author, there is a new release of the mouse gear program, TWCW. It can be used to key your rig via the rig's key jack or by sending audio to the rig while in SSB mode. It can also be used as a Morse code trainer. Uh, new features in this version of TWCW include adjustable rise and fall times from 2 to 8 milliseconds, 7 selectable rise and fall shapes, including Hamming, Blackman, etc., and adjustable weight and ratio controls. So for a complete list of features or to download the source code for TWCW, you can visit the website and the link to the download will be in the chat room. And TWCW is also in the ham radio repos. So, you know, the Debian ones tend to lag behind on that, you know, so you probably won't get the latest version right away, but they are in the repos. So you'll get those updates eventually. All righty. <laughs> and finally, what? Now what are you laughing at? <laughs> I just like the way you ended that. <laughs> <laughs> i thought you heard the dogs barking or something you're like oh okay well i can barely hear them back there but i do hear them <laughs> oh, okay that's good it just adds a little ambiance to the whole thing all right and the reason i threw in this next one is because it's mentioned in relation to jsa call and wsjtx and other applications apparently jsa call is a hybrid of wsgtx and fsq call which is actually a windows application but interestingly it's an open source windows application we don't get to talk about those a lot uh it's actually written in ansi c the source code is available it is downloadable downloadable as an exe which apparently works fine in wine i downloaded the thing because i wanted to try and build it in linux it should technically be possible uh since it's written in c so i'm going to give that a go but i haven't had a chance to do it yet 
Uh, but FSQ is called Fast Simple QSO Mode, designed specifically for HF. It works well under NVIS and Sunrise Sunset conditions on the lower bands. It also works well for short skip and gray line on higher bands. It can also be used on VHFM and clearly has a much wider useful range of operating conditions than other more conventional digital modes. That's, that's what they say. FSQ transmission is also well within the capability of microcontroller-based devices for low-power propagation transmissions, uh, MEPT, and telemetry. The FSQ modulation coding and FSQ call protocol are publicly disclosed and described in the software as open source. FSQ was developed by Konwasilev, I guess, ZL2AFP, <laughs> with the assistance of Murray Greenman, ZL1BPU. I believe those are South African call signs? Yeah. Uh, the code, the source code was released with the beta version 0.23 on 3rd of March, 2015. And FSQ is intended for fixed frequency or channelized operation with dedicated calling frequencies. So it's not a tune around and see who's out there on the FSQ band. So anyway, uh, I'm going to see if I can get FSQ to build on Linux. Like I said, it should technically be possible. I may be going through library dependency hell, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and if you don't want to deal with that, you can run it on Windows or you can load it up in Wine if you want to see what some of these other applications were based on. So there you go. There's a lot more to FSQ. There's like imaging modes and stuff like that, which I'm not going into, but a link to FSQ itself will be in the show notes if you want to find out more about it. Yes, Bill? No, I was just saying, I don't, I don't see any, um, don't see anything specific. Uh, you might have a problem compiling the uh, font one. Definitely a Windows thing only. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere that library has probably been converted by like maybe the Code Weavers people or somebody who's trying to make uh, Windows libraries portable. So either, it, it might have been ported, or there might be an equivalent or something like that out there. So yeah, there there might be some issues with it. There there are not a lot of C files in the distribution. I think there's only like eight. Um, yeah. So again, it it might technically be possible. We'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah. See if Russ blows something up. That's, that's <laughs> right there. Yep. Hey, nothing like explosions for attracting people. No, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing I suggest is always include a license file when you uh, provide source. Just, just, just as a reminder for people that. Uh, I maybe... thought I saw that this was GPLv3, but it possibly is. I just don't see a license file in the uh, download. I'm just kind of clicking through some of the stuff here. Well, uh, if not, we can ask one of the authors, and they can probably let us know what the actual license is. So. I saw GPL3 V3, but I think that that might have been associated with JSA call, um, not with FSQ. So nice. looking for IE and Windows NT. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have fun building that. That's going to be a great time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It looks clean code though. It looks definitely uh, some clean C there. Yep. Well, it's not going to hurt to try it. I guess the, the worst that's going to happen is it won't build. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought somebody was making uh had a port of that already. Oh, uh, um, that that might be. I know I was I know when I was looking at it uh when it first came out that that uh thought somebody else was kind of making one, but maybe that was when JS8 call sort of kind of spun up as they were kind of similarly aligned in their thoughts, but uh this one obviously stayed stayed behind and didn't grow in popularity. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, we have actually come down to the end of our topics for tonight. We probably prattled on way too long about most of them, but that's all right. <laughs> but we do want to get to our social media roundup. But before we get to the social media roundup, let's talk about the folks who are listening to the stream and in the chat room tonight. We had Ted, WA0EIR, Jeremy, KC0NUK, Dave, KC3LZY, 
Jaden, KE0NVA, Jim, V5EV, Fred, N2NRV, and Don, KC9ZMY. Thanks, everybody, for being in the chat room tonight, listening to us live. And uh, we'll wrap this thing up with Cheryl reading a bunch of names. All righty, then. That's, that's <laughs> my job. So for this time, we have on our Patreons list, Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Rutter, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. For subscriptions, we have Michael Bradak, which is new. Thank you. Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Phil Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. Oh, that's a long <laughs> list. <laughs> it's getting longer, which we really appreciate, yes, by the way. Yes, we do appreciate that. Thank you very much. On Facebook, we had Liam P. Burke, Doug Howard, and Don Ladon join us. On Twitter, we had at DJ Bongo 25, at Paul Ermenko, at Nikki underscore cop, at KJ4GMU, and ARC underscore Tampa. On YouTube, we had Kelly and Leslie the Roblin. No one joined us on the mailing list, but we did have merchandise sales to Steve Metcalf and Denton Larson. Yes, thanks everybody who's been buying stuff out of the store. That's really nice. Uh, something about putting the stickers up there has apparently motivated people to actually buy some stuff. So, <laughs> Yes, and please, if you would like, buy all the glassware we have available so we don't have to take a day invention. Uh, yeah. Because Bill yeah. would love somewhere to sit in our car. I'm, yeah, uh, order the heavy stuff. Yeah, order, order the order heavy the stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you a sticker if I actually have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> I might even discount the glassware like even more heavily so you can buy more of it. Ooh. So stay tuned for that. It might come out as a coupon code, but one way or another, it'll probably show up on Twitter or the mailing list or something, something. like that. All so right. so you'll be able to buy even more for less. Yay. All right. So thanks, everybody, for participating in the show, for listening live, for listening after the fact, for donating to our Hamvention campaign, buying merch, or just joining us on our social media networks. We really appreciate all of that. And with that, we're going to wrap up episode number 280 of Linux in the Ham Shack. So thanks once again, and we'll catch you the next time around. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. 
Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. Linux in the Ham Shack and the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.